But when I failed once, hey, I burned myself, I burned out, but I burned bridges as well. Like I went into my cave in Dark Hole and I just cut myself from the world and I burned bridges with people that wanted to help me. I burned bridges with people that I never valued because I was hurt. I can fail a hundred more times doing a startup as long as Lawson doesn't go bankrupt. And as long as there's sidewalks in Tokyo, I'll be able to have those moments of happiness with these three people, right? Welcome to Vulnerable, the Founders Mental Health Podcast, powered by Founders Taboo. I'm your host, James Roycroft Davis, and I'm going to sit down with founders and investors from all over the startup ecosystem to get vulnerable so we can finally break down the stigma attached to talking about your mental health as a founder. Whilst I've got your attention, this podcast does not grow without our amazing listeners subscribing to it. So please press the subscribe button now. It takes five seconds and I promise you we will not disappoint with what's coming up next. Have you ever been sat with somebody having a conversation about something so deep that you get completely lost in the brilliance of the moment and realize how transformative that conversation was for how you view the world. I had this experience when sitting down with my next guest, who is now a good friend of mine, Janos Barbaros. Janos's CV is insane. He's done it all, all before 40. A founder, investor, VC, academic, legal scholar, a mental health advocate, and yet Janos has driven himself to near suicide from his relentless pursuit of building. He's now focusing his time on building Supercharger Ventures 2.0, the world's leading edtech accelerator. But he's also building Founders Taboo, the founders' mental health platform. He wants to build a community of founders who are thinking about their mental health, who look after their mental health in order to improve entrepreneurship. I'll link everything in the show notes below. So let's get into this episode because it'll change your life. So welcome to Vulnerable, Janos Barbaris. How are you, my friend? I'm uh, very well. Thanks a lot, James. Yeah? Yes. Um, for those who don't know, we have Janos's pup in here as well if you hear any howling it is the beautiful husky that's currently in between Janos's legs absolutely and for the one that don't see what's happening right now it's, it's actually quite pleasurable but <laughs> there is a there's an element that when i started being an entrepreneur back in uh back in hong kong selling supercharger i had a meeting with one of the largest venture capital firm uh there and the person was called melissa and I was in Hong Kong to build the biggest accelerator in fintech, and I was full of idea. I was young. I just landed, and I was speaking, 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 speaking. I want to do this. I want to do that. And my idea was that she would invest in us. Mm-hmm. And then she looks at me, and she goes, you know, Janos, I'm going to tell you one thing. And then, you know, I was 26, you know, broke, happy, excited. Living the dream. And, you know, I go, like, tell me, Melissa. And she goes, get yourself a dog. And I go, like... Wait, how did that happen? And essentially, then she said, look, you're about to do one of the hardest thing ever someone would imagine to do. Mm. Get a dog. A dog will give you unconditional love. 
Um, and it took me six years to actually get one. Um, and I think she had a very good advice. So Freudy being between my legs is actually I an advice for a lot I of I completely concur. As you know, I have two beautiful Alaskan Malamutes that we rescued last year. Um, but they they have been the best hack bar deleting Instagram for yeah. my mental health. Honestly, deleting Instagram has just been revolutionary. I, was oh, gonna, I, ne I never had Instagram, so I never got that hack to delete, but I I'm just sure don't, don't, well, don't bother. Don't bother. Yeah, it doesn't bring any bit, anything to my life. That's unfair. It brings a little bit, but deleting it, I don't need to worry about where my mates are. Don't get FOMO. Just live my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the, this is vulnerable and we're going to get vulnerable. I like to start most conversations getting to know what drives you, mm -hmm. what drives the person on the other side of the other microphone. And I have a theory that as entrepreneurs, there's certain things that happen in our lives as we grow up through childhood that potentially forms certain behavior characteristics for us as founders to dive into what we dive into. Who was Janos growing up? Um, look, I think Janos for growing up, so, you know, uh, regular parents until I was one, uh, then they divorced. Um, and otherwise very you know happy childhood even though it was a single mother but does what you do as a kid shape you in the future absolutely yes but i think for me it was ever so slightly different uh, for me it was coming out of university in 2010 during the financial crisis mm. uh, couldn't get a job because i wanted to be in banking or in finance and it was just the wrong moment to uh, to get a job and so as a result of it uh, I had to build my job. Um, first, I built a challenger bank, and then I built uh, what became the largest fintech accelerator in the world. And what drove me at the time was um, two things. Uh, first, that first mover advantage that was amazing for a 25, 26-year-old to be able to capture um, because it was the capacity to jump the ladder in a way that you could never do it. Uh, so there was a personal element. And then there was a second element that was I wanted finance to be better. I wanted the financial system not to fail people and rebuild finance. And I saw fintech as a way of doing that and, and rebuilding finance with new values. So that moral drive has always been very present. But I don't didn't think it started in my childhood. I think it started when I just graduated. And it felt that society uh, cheated a whole generation that Very didn't get the opportunity they were meant to have. Interesting. Um, you talk about values. Mm -hmm. What are your values? Um, being authentic, um, being curious, um, and and being humble on, on how good you are and how good you're not, right? Mm. Um, I think authenticity is important, especially when you talk to other founders, which is what we do, right? So Supercharger, we're now in EdTech. I have two co-founders, Tamash and Alessandro. But when we reach out to founders and we help them, we need to be authentic in order to say why they should join us. 
So that authenticity is important. Uh, humble is also key because whenever you build a company or whatever you advise a founder, you need to really know what you know and what you don't know and how you think you would know if you had to do it yourself. Um, and then the curiosity is where you generate value. If you are able to connect dots that other people don't, because you're curious and because you're looking broadly at things, you're able to have new opportunities. And so, for example, you know, the curiosity of why are founders not being taken care of their mental health mm. and why is there nothing? If you connect both dots, you go, mm. well, in that case, let's create founder step for example, as an initiative. So th those are the three, three values. That's really interesting. I've got very similar values to you, actually. My, my values are, are really hard work, honesty, uh, vulnerability, hence why this podcast is called Vulnerable. When we spoke, I said I want it to be called Vulnerable as we're collaborating. But the other one is always be curious. And it's actually curiosity that's driven my exploration post being suicidal into my men mental health because I was like, why the fuck is this happening to me? Um, let's go into your story because mm -hmm. it is epic. The run up into the kind of issues that you've that you had, the issues that you felt, the issues that are kind of ongoing in your healing process. Yeah. How, how did it start? So there's the issue and then there's the healing process, right? Mm. So I think the, um, the issue, you started a podcast saying, you know, what is your childhood, et cetera. There is, look, we'll never know whether um, the mental health difficulty I had is because I was a kid or because I was an entrepreneur and a solo founder and it was difficult. But the point was at one point it became so evident that I have something. And that really crystallized um, when the first time around I had to sub supercharger. I went to the hospital for a fairly decent amount of time, but it was physical, it was not mental. But obviously stopping your activity then unlocked a mental fear because I was not a founder anymore. I was a patient in a hospital room. And so I wanted to work on myself, but I couldn't really find a medium of communication, someone that would understand why do I have that stress or why do I have those anxiety or why do I have those moments of depression, even though things physically were getting better. I was actually recovering physically. Um, and I, I kind of put that in a box, right? I put it on side. Uh, and when we restarted now, Supercharger, the new version, uh, I made a commitment to other founders that we will take care of their mental health because I knew mm. it mattered for me. And so this idea was help others to help yourself. And I started the process of where I would imagine most people would do it, which is you call your GP, your doctor, and you say, here's what I have. Mm. How can you help? And then I went into a process, a process of referral, assessment, evaluation, and that took nine months in and of itself. And I think- Did you go through the NHS? I went through the NHS, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that nine months process can be fine for most people, but when you're in founder, nine months is the time for you to make or kill a company. Literally. And then I continued that, doing that process. How did that feel at the time? It, it felt, to the name of your podcast, look, you, you open up for the first time. You, you become mm. incredibly vulnerable and you say, I am hurt, I am struggling, I am vulnerable, I am emotional, to the point that I really now need help now. And then their answer is, let's understand what you have, which mm. takes nine months, and then let's get you better. 
which in my case, I now have my full understanding, they're proposing me something where I'll get better by, or their plan will be finished by February 2024. I started contacting them in April 2021. So I guess the point here was I got to realize that mental health for founders, beyond being not marketed correctly, it's not that there's no coaches, psychologists, psychiatrists for founders, but where do you go to find them, mm. right? But beyond not being marketed correctly or signposted correctly, there's an issue around time. Mm. In four years, I'm either incredibly successful or dead, but like the four-year timeline is, doesn't fit with the speed at which a founder wants to do things and the obligation of his company. And so that's why we said, no, mm. okay, let's, let's build it ourselves. Let's build an initiative to accelerate the pace at which founder can get help, can get resources, mm. but ultimately be better at making decisions, becoming better founder. Mm. Let's take a step back um, and we'll talk about Founders Taboo later, but I really want to get into why you were hurt. Did you fail? Like, what, what, no. what was the actual catalyst? So, look, you... Um, it depends how you want to look at it. Uh, fail, look, supercharger fintech, most successful accelerator um, by fundraising amount, 600 million, by numbers of unicorn ratio. We got four unicorns out of 49 companies. Okay. Um, but we failed because we did have to close the company. And why did we close the company? Because, you know, I was in the hospital and we were not at a stage where everything was fully driven. I think that the failure that I had was I failed myself, right? I failed taking care of myself. And suddenly when you're in a hospital bed and you don't control your calendar because you're only controlled by a doctor knocking on your door and literally bring you from one exam room to the other, to the other, to the other, it, it takes something away from you. Um, it takes your self-control away because you're suddenly in the hands of someone else. So I failed that part. I failed. I failed my team, I thought, at the time, because mm. suddenly I had to tell the team, sorry, um, you know, we need to stop that story, even though we're profitable, even though we had everything. Um, I failed uh, my partner and because, you know, not taking care of yourself. And, and that's one of the reasons why you, it puts pressure on, on, on relationships. So, and then I failed my... Um, my self-confidence of whether I could do a company again. Because, mm. you know, you go, you're riding a bike, you crash and you go, I don't know if I can put one and one together. Like I mm. couldn't open an email, right? Mm. If you can't even open an email after what happens to you, how the hell are you going to run a company to start with? Literally. So I had to rebuild all of that. But all of this was a lot of pressure. And then I think I felt to raise my hand and saying, I, I need help, right? Mm. So no, absolutely. There was a lot of failures. Um, What's your relationship with stress like? Because it sounds like your mental health issues um, came predominantly at Supercharger, the V1. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, were they prevalent before or not? Again, you know, it's it's it's. Look, entrepreneurship is stressful by definition. Now, Correct. first company, do you know how stressful it gets? Absolutely not. 
No. But at the same time, stress builds up. It's a bit like, you know, slowly increasing the temperature in a frog in, in, in water. I think what stress you when you are a founder that is one week old is how you're going to pay 50 bucks for your guy on Fiverr. And what stresses you as a founder when you're three-year-old is how you're going to make the 100K payroll that month. So is stress building up? Yes, but I think as it builds up, you kind of desensitize yourself towards stress and you kind of become more and more accustomed. It's wrong, but you get more and mm. more accustomed to it. So I think that there were stress, but most importantly, there was no way of communication at the time. And this is why I'm so happy to have co-founders now. I didn't have founders to talk about it. Um, what was the impact there? The impact on me being a solo founder? Correct. You fully internalize everything. Um, you fully internalize everything. You cannot talk to your employee about this. You cannot talk to your client about this. I didn't have investors. Uh, I bootstrapped the company. So you don't really have investors, even though I might not have been comfortable talking this to my investors. And you have advisors and board members. But with advisors and board members, I didn't select them to coach me. I selected them to grow the company. Mm -hmm. And as a result of it, I could ask for strategic advice on how to do this better or that better or get that client, but it didn't naturally come as I'm not feeling well, what can I do? And what did you experience before? So that what happens. And then, you know, if you keep pulling a, a string, eventually it snaps and that's what it did. Um, so to your question, you know, how did I cope with stress? I, I think, look, uh, I, I expected there to be stress, but you never know what you don't know. Um, and so then I think you get more and more used to that stress building up, which is not healthy. Hmm. Um, and, and because I didn't know what was ahead of me, I didn't surround myself with people that could help me personally to be more resilient, to be better at making decisions, to be more balanced, because this is equally important as making the right strategic decision for the business. Hmm. Hmm. Um, are you comfortable talking about the moment you broke? Yeah, absolutely. Take us back. So, um, look, there is, you know, there's a micro moment where you break, but, you know, I think there is, there are three defining uh, moments. Uh, the first one must have been, you know, December, I'll be wrong with the year, but I guess December 2018. When I first went to the hospital and my, my liberty of action as a founder was taken away from me because I was in a hospital bed, right? And I would not leave that hospital bed for about six months and then I would not leave the hospital system for about another year and a half. So... Did you take yourself to hospital? Uh, yeah, I, had, I, I was in a pain that was intolerable. Right. But once they started looking at that, they started realizing that essentially yeah, yeah. I had a one in four chance of dying. So... Um, and in here I broke because I... I, I, I broke and I got courage. I, I broke because I knew I could not go back in Hong Kong to do what I love, which is building supercharger. But I got courage because I had someone to take care of me, right? Mm. It's almost like a release. It was, a, it was, and actually I remember I told this to the doctor. I said, look, take care of me. I can't do it anymore. Wow. I literally said, and, and said, yeah, don't worry. We'll take care of you. And, you know, then they did. Um, so that was one moment, and, and that was hard, right? Because you, you, you accept that you're not bigger than what you are, right? Mm -hmm. So it goes back to the point of humbleness at the beginning. Yeah. The second element that, that, that broke me um, 
was just before restarting Supercharger. Uh, I was still in, 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 in recovery of the condition that I had. And I kind of got a flashback. I was like, you know, redoing a company is going to be to the point now is I know it's stressful. I know it's going to be hard. And I didn't have the level of energy or stupidity, depending on how you want to look into me, mm. the level of energy of stupidity to redo the company, knowing that I had vulnerabilities. And that scared me to death. But like when I tell you to death, uh, to the point of crying. And I went back to the hospital in Austria and I said to the doctor, can you please take care of me? Because I know what I'm about to do to myself and I need you to help me. And that was just before COVID started. And I'm based in London for the one that don't know, but the hospital that followed me was in Austria. And the referral she gave me was an Austrian referral. And because of COVID, because of quarantine, because people could not fly anymore, I could not get the doctor that she referred me to help me because a doctor in Austria cannot on the phone help someone in the UK. No. And so as a result of it, what did I do? I said, I'm going to look into the UK system, which I told you, which started in April 2021. I'm not going to get out of it until February 2024. But most importantly, I said, okay, I'm going to do Founders Taboo. I'm going to, I'm going to build that crutch mm. or I'm going to build um, the antidote to, um, the, to the illness I'm about to give myself, right? Mm. And I have. And that was a very stressful moment because I, I knew with open eyes was about to do to myself, but mm. I didn't make yet the personal investment for it. And so I had mm. to balance both. And, and that's the reason I found this taboo. And then more recently, the third moment, it was um, over the summer, this summer uh, in August. And I, I really had a breakdown. I really had a breakdown where it was all so much. I was not building fast enough my medication. I was not building fast enough Founders Taboo uh, because I had no one. It was my idea in my head to the point where you go, no, I need I need someone now to help me. I need medication. I need to calm down. I just need to reset myself, but now I need to do it fast. Uh, and that was August. And what happened? I called the doctor. I got medication to calm me down. It worked immediately. And it was amazing. because What did you take? can't remember oh, right. essentially it's morning pills in the morning pills in the evening oh you're, you're two i'm only one a day yeah two and <laughs> but i was like you're telling me uh, the moment i had it was like you're telling me that this makes me feel better like i should have started that fucking four years ago mm. and then this was august and then september jd out uh annabelle that you know some of you will will get to know over time uh joined and we started building the course it was excellent by the way and it well, fantastic absolutely you're very lucky Absolutely. No, I think this is, she has the right passion, the right motivation, uh, incredibly kind, very professional. Mm. And I think anyone that gets to work with her uh, is fortunate on how well prepared, genuine, um, and caring she is about that topic, which is not obvious for the fact that is taboo no. by definition. No. Uh, you mentioned something earlier, which I thought was really interesting because I also... It re so yesterday I was in a terrible mood mm -hmm. because I was like, we're not building quick enough. We're not building fucking mm -hmm. quick enough. What goes through your mind when that comes up? Because for me, it's a real, I almost need to take myself off to bed. Mm -hmm. so, so I think what I, what I come to realize, um, I come to realize that you and I and people around us may be good founders but we stay average founders. So what I'm getting at is 
it takes 10 years to be successful and build a successful company. And the reality, it doesn't mean that your company needs to be 10 years old in order for you to be successful. It means that you need 10 years of experience to build a successful company. So the point here being is it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And I know it sounds like those Captain Obvious advice that you get, but it's true. And the second part is success. Yeah, go ahead. But, it might be Captain Obvious, but it's and it's true. But how can we contend with that? How can we get comfortable with that? But, but because it's, it's an uncomfortable feeling. No, it's, it's an uncomfortable feeling, but like, look, n n founders are, as personality, are quite driven and, and data-driven, right? And in the same way that all the founders listening to the podcast are going to say, yes, it takes 100 meetings with investors to get one investment, just accept the fact that it takes 10 years to be successful and significantly successful. And also that success doesn't come linearly, it comes exponentially. Mm -hmm. You may be successful on year nine, months eight, hour seven, and you may be in Dev Valley in year eight, months 11. So the point is, give yourself 10 years to be an entrepreneur and only review yourself and your success in 10 years. It's going to be an unpopular opinion, that one. I'll it is, but the thing is, look, you, you don't, you, you don't... Because there's going to be founders out there who are like, well, hold on, this is my second company, or I'm, this is my first company, I, this needs to be successful. That's where I also got caught up, intertwining, interlinking my self-worth. Sure, but, but that's the second thing, which is, why, look, why do first-time first founders are terrible investment? <laughs> yeah. Statistically. Yeah. And why the terrible investment? Because we have it's no the, fucking clue what they, they do. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You don't know yourself in the same way, which goes back to being humble. You, you learn a lot. And again, you're not going to be the statistic. Maybe you're going to be the Zuckerberg that at 23 is going to build a billion dollar company. But Zuckerberg is not a normal entrepreneur. No. And therefore, you cannot measure yourself on this because statistically, you're unlikely to be a Zuckerberg. It doesn't mean that you're unlikely to be successful, but you're unlikely that company one, year one, is your unicorn. Most likely, it's going to be company three, year seven, where you're going to actually start having this. And this, you can't fight. You can't fight statistic. In the same way that founders are okay to say, it's going to take me 100 calls with investors to get one ticket, don't fight statistic. You are not better mm. than an average founder. Mm. And it's still a great achievement to be an average founder, by the way. Mm. I don't say this in a negative way. So <clears throat> back to me. I'm an average founder. We, we all are. And I think we should only consider ourselves at the end of that journey. And so I guess for me, which is now I, we have this 10x growth rate and we are, again, the fastest growing ed tech accelerator in the world. And and all of that is number one, number one, number one. Mm. But success will be measured in, well, not in 10 years now, in, in three and a half, four. So don't, don't be hard on yourself until then, because I think it's unwarranted. You're in the very fortunate position, actually. I was just thinking about your kind of background. I, I think instead of classifying yourself as an investor, you would actually classify yourself as a founder who founds other founders finds other founders, right? And yeah, then, start for startup. Right? Yeah, exactly. So startup inception, yes. Um, so you've got the very interesting um, 
You've been on both sides of the table, right? Correct. Um, put your investor hat on. Um, where's the line? And this question actually was asked, somebody asked me to ask this to you. Um, where's the line as an investor, your opinion, as to you see a founder getting vulnerable or struggling um, in today's market and you're like, mm, not sure about that. Where, where is the line at the moment? So is the question about being vulnerable as a founder being a negative signal for correct VC I, I, exactly i want to know how that's perceived so i think it so if, if you ask the perfect world for me and one of the things that we want to do with 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 founders taboo and it will take us three four years again it takes time to, mm -hmm. to to move slowly but we do have a thesis and an opinion that um healthier founder generate healthier return for funds and that an investor investing money into a founder should make the investment conditional to the founder reporting to the board that they invest in their well-being and the well-being of their team they don't need to report what they have or what they don't have but they need to make that in the same way that esg reporting to the board is now a compulsory requirement because we believe it will make the world better but also company more stable what's esg uh, environmental, environmental sustainable goals. So sure. anything, things like, you know, how much carbon emission do you yeah, have, yeah, etc. Yeah. So as a starting point, my opinion is that investors should require founders to, uh, as a conditionality to the investment in a term sheet, to take care of their well-being. Mm. So that's that's starting point. Now, today, that's not the case. Why? Because either investors and funds do not care or do not know. So do not care as in, I see founders as an asset class, I don't see them as human, mm. I need to extract a profit from it, therefore I don't care. Mm. Do not know is, I do not know how stressed my founder is, whether or not he can pay the mortgage at the end of the month and how is that gonna affect his relationship and therefore the stress level when he goes back into the company because I do not ask that personal question. And then the last thing is, I do not think it's relevant. I do not think that mental health of founder is a relevant question for due diligence. And I think here I would strongly disagree because mm -hmm. you as a founder need to make important decisions all the time. And as you grow, your decisions become bigger and bigger and bigger. And anything that clouds your mind with poor decision making will impact the success of your company. And what clouds your mind? Mental health, whether it's stress, anxiety, depression, bipolar, those are elements that will make you take slightly less good decision. So that's the problem, which is I think a lot of funds don't understand. Now, if I finally go on to, but okay, Janos, let's say you have a founder in front of you now and he goes, I'm depressed, would you still invest? That's a great question. And. And I think here, there is... Go ahead. Can I add a small yeah. caveat? I suffer with depression. Mm -hmm. Slight change in tense there, but important. Yeah. Because depression... So, yeah, what, what, what's your thought process around that? So, the thought process is, is twofold. As an investor, from an, if you put your investor hat on, 
First, irrespective of the founder, is it the right market? Is it the right company? Is it the right product? Is it the right team? If everything is yes, you go next. Mm -hmm. Now you look at the founder, him or herself. And then on the founder, there is two elements. Everything, once it has a name or a diagnosis, can be cured. How quickly, whether one year or 10, that's another story. Mm. But can we put a name to it and can we make it better? And if you align with your investor that you can do this, that shouldn't be a problem. Mm. But sometimes you also have founders that put themselves in a situation of doing a company and they're hurting themselves because they're going to go in a wall. Mm. And they do have depression or they do have anxiety. And I think here as an investor, it's important to say, kill this company before it kills you. So not the point is uh, having a, a mental health condition, whilst it's a common trait in founders, doesn't necessarily make a good investment. And sometimes because you have a mental health condition, it's even more important as an investor to really look at the founder and tell her or him, don't do this yourself, you're not ready and you won't be able to go through that journey. And then let's either work with you to give you the crutches, the support, or if we can't, don't do this yet. You are doing this company slightly too soon and wait until you're better. And I think that's equally valuable. That's interesting. Um, because my immediate thought there was like, oh, discriminating. But actually, I completely understand it. It's actually, you're then putting the onus back on the, the investor to make sure they have the right mental health infrastructure almost before they go out to try and find founders look the, to invest in right look the, the way the way you can look at it right which is um i do believe that that founders are and i use that analogy often founders are like athletes mm. we high performers yep. and we want to be number one and we live in a high performance environment other founders around us etc now what and i believe that uh, the investor is like the agent of the athlete, right? I make money from you being successful, therefore I need to manage you. Now, what does an agent of an athlete have access to to make the athlete better? Physio, recovery rooms, mm -hmm. holiday, coaches, trainers, training sessions. I can go on psychological sessions, psychometric session. Yep. What do the founder have? if they like athlete, nothing of that support network around them. So I think the point here is not for the investor to become the coach, not for the investor to become the psychotherapist, not for the investor to become the psychologist, not for the investor to be the recovery person, but for him to be able to say, here is also the network that I can make you available to you if I was to make an investment hmm. and for you to use, because I believe it will make you even more performing but not because I just want a higher return, because I believe it will make you a better founder, make you take better decision, and as a result of it, generate a better return for me, mm. right? So I think the, the role of the investor is not to be a clinician or to be a coach. The role of the investor is to say, I understand that vulnerability, but that vulnerability, is it fundamental to you or is it because you lack the support around you? Mm. And if it's the later, then there's an easy fix. Mm. If it's not, then you can't really sort it. Mm. But at the very least, you should be able to have that discussion. And then for the founder to directly talk to the network around the investor 
in order for him or for her to get that help. So that way you dissociate, I give you the money, the person give you the money from the person you get the help because you don't want the hand that mm. finances you to help you. Otherwise, you'll never know which hand to, to feed on. How far do, we, do you think we've got to go with investors actually understanding that? Because look, there's going to be investors that do and they do it really well. I would probably argue the majority of the market don't. So look, it's, I think it will take 10 years before it becomes a, a very accepted mm. way of, if not doing investment, looking at an investment, mm. right? Um, and the reason why I say 10 years is, you know, for example, we're currently uh, looking at working with a university to do a clinical research to literally see if there's a correlation between specific intervention to then improve founder well-being and therefore uh, their mental health and therefore the decision-making capacity and therefore the success of their company. So are healthier founder generating healthier returns in terms of investment? If we're able to find yes as a correlation, we have a case to make. Now, a clinical research and an academic research takes at least three years to do and then you need to look at the data. So that's four years. But once you have that data, that data is not challenged or not challengeable if you've done it correctly. However, once you have it, then we publish it and then you need people to read it and people to accept it. And so that's going to take another two or three years of market education. And once you're going to educate the market, you're going to have some investors saying, look, oh, I never believed in that, but I started investing using that method. And then it's going to take them three, four years to generate a return. And once those people generate a return, then the whole industry will say, oh, okay, that works. But... What's the alternative? What's the alternative of, you know, funds not being able to generate a return on this and, you know, this whole topic of healthier founder, healthier return doesn't exist. I still think Founders Taboo will have achieved its goal of raising the awareness around it. We will still have done, done good. We wouldn't have done well from a financial perspective, but we'll have done good. And this in of itself, I don't think we can lose. I don't think you can lose saying to the world, we're going to do a clinical research to yeah. see if healthier founder generate healthier return. I agree. Um, this is going to sound like a really random question, mm -hmm. but I'm fascinated by how the ego of somebody plays a part in their everyday life. What's your relationship with your ego? Um, I, I really don't have a lot of ego. Um, have you ever? don't know um i think look my, my self-esteem and self-worth is i don't know if it's low or if it's unimportant interesting what do you mean by that so a low self-esteem would be i actively don't value myself mm. which it's possible but I, it's not an active thing it, it if anything it's passive um this is for you personally that's for me personally and yeah. the reason why i said i don't know if it's if, if I have a low self-esteem or whether I just don't even think about it, is, for example, I think that the past doesn't necessarily reflect the future and I don't use my past to say how I'm going to be. I'm much more humble than that because I know one, you know, the previous track record doesn't necessarily mean the future. So I'll give you an example. Like, I, I, I'm doing a PhD and, and that PhD at, at whatever, at, 25, 26, I was the youngest legal scholar in the world across law. Really? 
uh, in the top 10 in the world. I was the youngest person to be on the board of the World Economic Forum FinTech Committee. I was the youngest person to be on the SFC in Hong Kong. I was the youngest person to have done that accelerator in FinTech. I was uh, the person behind the biggest course on FinTech in the world. I was the person behind the first course on the first book on FinTech in the world. I was the founder of an accelerator that had four unicorns uh, and I could go on and on and on and on. But I, that never and until this day gave me any sense of accomplishment or pride or, or ego boost. So this is what I'm getting at, which is for me, it's mm. almost, it's, it's not there. Uh, That's really interesting. Why do you think it's not there? Because, because because by anybody's standard, right? We we call ourselves average founders. I mean, that, you're clearly not an average founder, Janos. Yet, you reel off a long list of accomplishments that anybody would die for. Um, and I'm not saying this in a negative way. I'm just interested in exploring it more. And I can tell, people can't tell um, by listening to this, but I can tell from looking at your face, as you said, that there was not a flicker of pride or excitement. Um, Why do you think that is? So, you know, you, you said uh, people would die for that list. Mm. I almost died off that list, mm. right? So can, can you can you take pleasure from something that almost killed you? Not sure, maybe. Um, but even before, even before being in a hospital, like it never hit me. Like I remember I was talking to my, my PhD supervisor and and, you know, for, for Douglas and Ross, who I'll send you that podcast to both of you, um, you, you've done amazing things for me. And I think you always challenge me on why we're not, I was not happy on what we achieved, but I never understood what I've done. And I think th th there, there might be a series of reasons for that. Look, um, the first one, a lot of my success, success became, was organic. One led to another, to another, to another. And therefore, you you go maybe... I was the right guy at the right time at the right place, but I got lucky or I don't deserve it, which could be a little bit imposter syndrome. The point is, for a long time, I thought, look, I, I didn't cheat anyone, but uh, maybe I, I cheated my way into success because I was the right guy at the right time that did the right thing, but does it mean I'm fundamentally better than someone else? And I always, I always challenge that. So I, I, I really don't know um, why. Um, I've always been, and funnily enough, when I was uh, when I was in the hospital, there's one thing that I've always been incredibly proud of, and to this date, and I think a lot of it is, is the team I had and the current team that we have equally, but it, it was in another context. When I look back at, at Supercharger, and you know, you almost have that thing, which is, you know, so uh, what are you gonna leave? And, and not from an ego perspective of a statue in a, in a town square, literally, which is, so what do I remember, right? It's, I still don't know if I'm going to get out of the hospital with my, on my two legs or with my two legs in the front, right? And I thought about uh, my team, which I was incredibly proud of. And I thought about my founders that I was incredibly proud of. And I thought about the student that got to learn for free FinTech because all of the research that we've done was open, right? But it wasn't about monetary, it wasn't about numbers, it wasn't about all of that. And it's, I, I, I don't think it's still, it's still not. Um, so. so interesting. I see your face light up when you talk about your, fat, your team and your, yeah. your co-founders. 
and yet not a flick of excitement as to what you've achieved or any recognition? Because, because you fundamentally cannot achieve a lot of things without your team mm. or without your co-founder. Mm. Um, if they, they are a way or an enabler or a multiplier or a shortcut towards a lot of that goal. Yes. Now, there's things that I've done myself fully and not with team members, but even what I've done fully by myself, for example, one of my academic papers, my team took away that load from me to allow me to focus on doing something fully by myself so that I didn't have to do something else. So even when you do something fully by yourself, it means that someone will do something that you couldn't do because you're now fully focused on something else. And that's what that's what you have. So for example, practical example, I'm now with you speaking to you and that's, let's say that podcast become the most successful podcast in the world and that specific episode is, right? We hope. Which all be very happy about. Now, that success would be me talking about my story and your quality of an interview. But for example, Annabelle, is allowing me to be in front of you mm. and making Founders Taboo still work properly, right? So mm. what I'm getting at is even if success is fully due to your input, it's still also the only capacity of me to give you that input to you is because someone else is offloading from me for that period of time. I can see what you're trying to say. That's it's very interesting. Um, let's move on to Founders Taboo. Mm -hmm. Why? Look, the, the why of Founders Taboo is, is, um, is a visibility, right? So, so you know, the, the why of Founders Taboo is as a founder, I needed help. I couldn't find that help fast enough. And as a result, what do you do as a founder? Well, you know how to build it. And so, you know, I, I built it. And the idea of the Founders Taboo is if a founder wants to learn about the topic of mental health, they can take the online course. If they want to talk to other founders that share a similar problem. So for example, I think I have anxiety. I think I have problems with my co-founder. I think I have problems with anxiety. I think I have depression. I think I have this. Then put yourself in a group of peers to share that. Mm. And then finally, if you want to personally get support, I want to talk to a coach, a psychotherapist, a psychologist, a holistic healer, that understands a little bit the difference about a founder and the difference about a founder could be speed, money or affordability, then you can also do that. So that's the, the, the why is I think today this is missing or at the very least, it's not obvious. No, it's why when you, um, you joined my Slack group, mm -hmm. um, Founders Mental Health Slack group, and um, when you post about it, I was like, this is... This is a really, really good idea, and I'm excited to get involved in whatever way possible. Obviously, Founders Taboo is powering this podcast. Um, where do you see it going? Um, it, Founders Taboo is meant to be a marketplace, so it, it's meant to be enabling anyone that has resources, capacity, time, and network to help founders with their mental health to be able to be listed there. And then for any founder that need one of those services, help or product to be able to find it. For example, I want a coach. I'm a founder. I want to be a better leader. I want a startup founder coach. I don't know where to find. I go on Founders Taboo. I found Gillian Cripps. Great. I'm a founder. I want to uh, do breath work before a meeting of meeting an investor. Great. There is uh, Alex Strang and Fiona McKinnon of Moment 
they have a workshop on it and they have a device that you can also get on Founders Taboo. He gave me one as well. Amazing. Exactly, right? Yeah, beautiful. So, so this is what I'm getting at. Or I am um, a founder that just wants to learn around the struggle of other founders. I go on Founders Taboo, there's a vulnerable podcast. Or I am a founder that wants to know what I don't know or passively hear all the different types of issues a founder can have, I take the online course. So we, we're here to connect people with people. We will never have the capacity for Founders Taboo to have a thousand employees to take care of the hundred million founders in the world. We fundamentally from day one need to be a platform connecting founders with the resource product or people that will help them on becoming better leaders, better founders, and build build their dream and build their vision. That's really awesome. How many um, founders have we, have you, I say we, yeah. I feel like I'm part of the team now. Um, how, what's your traction been like? So uh, the traction has been good. Um, it's always hard to put on, it's, it's always a tricky one to put a number on a podcast because, you know, it doesn't age well if people listen to this in five years from now. <laughs> but... Um, in the first in the first two weeks of Founders Taboo going live, we had 170 uh, registered beta user founders that simply say, "Here's what I have. Here's why I want to register. So here's what I expect from you, and here is why I think it matters." And so we did that startup 101, and, and you know, going back to Annabelle, she did a hundred over a hundred calls, one one, to do product discovery. What do you want as founders? And what did we hear as founders? We love your course. Congratulations. Great idea. Is it missing? Yes. Do I value it? No. What I value is peer groups. Interesting. And, and then we go, okay, sounds good. So what are we doing now? Every Wednesday, we do a webinar. Every, every second of the month, we're going to do a breakfast, which is going to be led by either a practitioner or a founder. And that breakfast will have a theme, which is how do you handle stress when you fundraise or... How can you better coach yourself uh, when you have depression? As in Remote or in person? And because it's going to be um, led by a community of stakeholders, it can be both. So, mm -hmm. for example, um, the team at Moment, they're doing their workshop remotely, but we're currently talking to uh, someone in Scotland that will be hosting our breakfast physically. So, you know, the idea is that Physical presence, I think, is is hard to escape um, in the sense that it's always nice to see someone in front of you, especially when you talk about vulnerable elements of your life. Uh, and sometimes it's the opposite. Being behind the safety of a screen and a webcam turned off makes it even easier to talk about it. So both models will work, but the fact that we, are, that we are an open platform and we're not providing the ultimate service, but we're connecting the beneficiaries wizard providers allow us to play with different models uh, so if you go today on founders taboo website there's both physical retreat listed as well as online workshop and you know that audio podcast so for us the delivery method is is outside of all control but finding the people that want to deliver and make an impact is within our scope and within our mission fascinating um mental health awareness month mm -hmm. is we're recording this very 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 late april um, it's next month. It, the theme for Mental Health Awareness Month is loneliness. It's it, it's a 
topic which is very close to my heart because I constantly find myself feeling lonely through building a remote first business. Mm -hmm. And I'm fascinated by hearing other founders take on loneliness. Are you lonely? Um, no, I'm not lonely. So it depends. You have different levels of loneliness, right? Mm. Are you lonely in your thoughts of where do you want to bring the company? Are you lonely physically? Are you lonely emotionally? Are you lonely financially? Do you know who to call if you cannot pay the rent? Do you know who to talk to when you have that vision of where you believe the company is going to be in 10 years? Do you know who to talk to say, I don't feel well today? Do you know who to hug if you don't have someone next to you? So I think that there's different levels of loneliness, right? There's loneliness around who shares my vision, who shares my life, who shares my bed, who shares my bank. Um, But today I, I, I don't have these, um, I have my co-founders on who shares my vision. Um, I have my family now in a fortunate way on who can share my financial and vice versa. I have Freudy on who shares uh, my emotion of, of not being by myself because he, he has a presence. It's, you know, it's a husky, you have a Malamute, but they're, they're different types of dogs. They, they, they have a, not a soul, but there's an aura. They're that. so human-like. Yeah, they, 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 they really are. Yeah, and and they have that almost spiritual element mm. to it. And then do and do have? Am I lonely from a social perspective? Look, I'd be lying if I say that on a Saturday I go playing football with mates. I don't because um, I'm not healthy enough to play football. But <laughs> I also don't have mates playing football. Mm. But I I contacted some friends and we're gonna have a dinner next month and I've never done that. I've mm. literally. Really? I've hardly done this. So so I think all of that, no. Um, But mm -hmm, go ahead. I find it, and this is me being vulnerable, um, I find it very difficult sometimes with my friends who I love them to pieces, but I often feel like we're in very different boats. That might just be me overthinking it. Do you have friends outside of the startup ecosystem that share that? I... I do. Um, look, but what I was just about to say as I finish that is, it, by definition, when you're a founder, it's a lonely experience. Yeah. And the reason why it's lonely is, is when you do something that no one else has seen. And that's what a successful company is, is I do something that no one else has seen and I'm doing it first or I'm one of the first doing it. So by definition, your vision and your moment of that is a lonely experience. If everyone was doing it, there would not be startup to create. Mm. So the starting point of having that one-off idea makes you lonely. And then there's nothing and you knock on customer's door and they don't respond. That's a lonely experience. And another lonely experience is when you're an employee and you get a, a salary paid every month, you almost get a relationship with the HR payroll of the company and you and saying, hey, how are you doing? Here's your money every month. And it's lonely that your bank account is lonely because you don't get money. And if you don't get money, you go, but maybe I'm not worth something. Or are you lonely on not being able to tell your team how you feel because you sold them the vision on, hey, don't worry, it's going to be amazing. And you go, holy shit, I really fucked up on this one. So I think that there's there's different stage, but fundamentally, and again, there's that stupid 
captain of this thing, which is it's lonely to be at the top. But that's also because we've decided to be at the top, if not the top. And as a result of it, you need to be able to surround yourself with other people that have been there and also open yourself to have friends around you to support you. So that notion of loneliness, I think, is, is there by virtue of starting a company. Because if you're not lonely, when you build your company in your segment, it means that you're already in a crowded market and you're doing something that doesn't make sense. So by definition, you need to be an outsider, an outlier, to have created something that will be of value. I've spoken to a lot of founders about this. Um, and by the way, I completely agree. Um, but they struggle with um, with close friends um, and friendship circles not quite understanding the level of sacrifice. Correct. How have you dealt with that in the past? But you... you, you Again, you know, it's, it's, it's you either, if you can't fix it, don't fight it, right? So what I'm getting at is, is if you, you, you can't ask your friends to understand what you're going through. If they are employed or they're self-employed, but they want just to have a nice thing and they're not driven by a higher mission and they haven't aligned their higher mission with their work and therefore their work with their life, you can't make someone understand what you're going through because they don't have that mindset. And it's not a, a value judgment. Is They're not at that stage. You're asking someone that would be, for example, colorblind, said, do you see blue? They see red. Like, you can't make them see blue, right? It's not possible. So, but that's a valuable element because you, when we when we started Founders Taboo, I... At one point, I was so convinced. I was like, we need psychiatrists and psychologists for founders, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a snowflake and I want something that is unique to me, right? And then someone challenged me on this. Like, yeah, but when a baker goes to a psychiatrist, he doesn't ask the psychiatrist, but were you ever a baker? So what, what I'm saying is there, there are things that your friends can share with that has nothing to do with you being a founder. And if anything, which then goes back to what you were saying for first-time founders and even for other founders which are not there yet, some founders have associated their personality themselves with their company. But a friend that associates you for binge drinking or playing football or being an average fisherman or being a lousy singer, you'll still be a lousy singer if your company fails. And at the very least, you dissociate yourself from that. So I think, now, is it difficult to have this? Absolutely, yes. But for example, I have certain friendships um, and and those people, are, are, I'll name them. It's always, it's always dangerous when you do this because you tend to forget people, but <laughs> uh, I'll do it because, you know, it's, you know, for anyone I forget, I apologize. But there's, a, there's, a, there's three people, um, Una, Nick, and Rebecca, they're, they're incredibly close friend to mine. They are not founders. Uh, I got to meet them in all in Tokyo. So Tokyo is, is our home away from home for all of us. Um, and, and, and I love them because they're my friends with who we go to 7-Eleven, which is a, a convenience store in, 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 in Tokyo, or actually uh, we should say Lawson. And we used to be outside like bums opening a beer and drinking. And I love them 
for that. It's nothing about supercharger, V1 or V2. It's about drinking and getting drunk in a 7-Eleven or a Lawson in Tokyo and being idiots. And I can fail a hundred more times doing a startup as long as Lawson doesn't go bankrupt. And as long as there's sidewalks in Tokyo, I'll be able to have those moments of happiness with these three, these three people, right? That's really profound. Um, re I, I really like that. I haven't thought about that before. Obviously, I have my very close friends, um, but I think I've been fighting it too much. I've been fighting. Um, they should understand, but they don't. But you, you know, and that's fine. But absolutely, and there, there's another thing which is, um, it's if I go back on you know founders taboo, there's there's going to be three types of founders. There's going to be the founders that need help today because they're vulnerable, right? They, they need to be heard or to be, or to be allowed to speak, but they need it. They've, they have mm. that vulnerability. You have founders that they know they don't know, but they want to be aware of what may happen to them before. I want to start reading a book on if I ever get depressed, I can now know how to do it. And then there are people that are happy puppies and they have no issues whatsoever. But the reason why I'm saying this is, and then you go from one category to another, either by working on yourself or it clicks and now you switch. So, you know, for example, what you were saying is, you know, I've been fighting it too much, right? I, fighting it too much as a founder, for example, is often the topic around um, resilience. Say we're resilient. And I'm sure if you were to ask most people listening to this, they would say, what is resilient? Resilient is powering through it. There's a wall in front of you and you're just going to smash through it or the wall falls on you and you're just going to stand back up and push the wall back, right? Mm -hmm. Resilience is in moment of toughness, tough gets tougher. And what I, what I realized literally two weeks ago, uh, and I started doing guided meditation. Uh, I use uh, Apple Fitness Plus, so literally anyone with an Apple phone can do it. There was a Joel, right? So it's a 10 minute medication, 10 minute meditation on resilience. And we're talking with Joel. I mean, Joel was talking to me and said, resilience is being a, being a, um, a bamboo, being a palm tree, actually, because in San Francisco, so <laughs> or Los Angeles. And said, it's bending. You don't fight certain things. Don't put that energy because that you don't have, your energy gets depleted. And so, you know, to your point, and to what I was saying is there's things you can't change and it's things you can't fix. And your friends don't understanding you, just be a, be a palm tree, just bend in. When they don't understand or when they push you back on stuff, just bend it. It's not, this is not your fight because there's not even a fight to be had. There's no war. They, they, they see something you don't, right? So I think a lot of people, certain things should not be fought, but when they're not fought, it's not that you lost the battle, it's that you're simply bending because your energy is going to be used better elsewhere, right? Mm. Um, mm. And that's one thing that I learned and that it, it clicked in my mind. Like it, 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 it's funny how, and now for me, resilience is not anymore around pure grit powering through. It's about maintaining my energy constantly. And when there is a stress, I bend so I don't snap, but then I come back. 
Um, so that's really nice. Yeah. Mm. You, when do you, you stepped into being an entrepreneur post graduating, right? So we're talking. Yeah. Cause I couldn't get a job. So I needed to <laughs> build a job, but yeah. Yeah. That's a conversation for a different podcast actually, because that in itself is an entrepreneur. Um, what age are we talking about? 21? Uh, no, actually before. So I, 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 I started an, so I, I did a small business when I was at whatever, uh, I was, I think six, six, 16, um, it was minor. I was literally, I went to a jewelry shop in Bali and I, I went to, I wanted to get jewelry for my mother. I couldn't afford it, but I just had a digital camera. I mean, you know, I was 16, so it was what, 2005, right? So just. And I went to them and said, I can make your movie for you. And if I make your movie, can you give me the jewelry? And they said, yes. And anyway, so was that entrepreneur or was that me being a trader? Well, I was a trader, so I got that. And then I went to a university in England and I discovered the pain point of an international student. And I had no clue on how to find student housing, like outside the dorms. Mm. For me, it was a shit show. And I had British friends who for them living outside of the dorms is a well thought out process. But I was like, that really sucks, right? I, I don't like it. And so I, I created a company called Village Digs and we started with the Southampton University Student Union. And then we talked to um, a university in Scotland and that started off as a company. It started okay. It ran its course. Um, we then actually got a proposed decision of an acquisition, um, but I didn't take it. How much for? Um, not a lot. I think it was 150k at a time, but it was because they wanted to acquire the exclusive contract we had with that university in, in Edinburgh, which gave us access directly to 35,000 students. So essentially the acquisition was not about, or tech, it was about getting 35,000 students cheaper and faster. Yeah. But I didn't take it because, uh, either I was stupid but most importantly because i had a bigger vision then which was let's go to hong kong uh to build fintech because the acquisition was conditional for me to stay in the uk to transit over the relationship and the technology to that vc that would have acquired it for one of their portfolio and i just got accepted into my phd in hong kong and i had my partner in hong kong and so i couldn't do one plus one um so that was this but this has started when i was 19 right so that, 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 I guess, was startup one or startup two, as you want. Mm. And then and then I studied, studied, studied. I grew Village Digs, studied. And then at 20, and then at 25, I became employee number one of a challenger bank in the UK. So quasi, well, not founder, but it was a founding team, by definition, employee one. And then we built that, and I learned a lot. So that, I guess, was startup two, but not me as a founder CEO, but me as a founding team member. And then there was Supercharger uh, in fintech, startup three. That was very successful. Uh, and that stopped. And now there is startup four, which is Supercharger two in edtech uh, with Tamash and Alessandro, which you know I, I thank for all that we've done together so far and all that we're going to be doing next. But that's the fourth company in four or five years. No, sorry, in five, six years. And it's not me being a serial entrepreneur. Right? It's like not me uh, 
launching a company a day for whatever reason and calling myself serial entrepreneur. I don't put that anywhere. But I think everything had journey that I built into one knowledge to another. Mm. Um, mm. So, yeah, maybe I was, look, I, I think I was always a self-starter. And if I don't find something that I need, I will go out and build it. Like the FinTech book was an example. I needed to learn about FinTech. There was no book on Amazon. So I go, let's build a book. That book became the biggest book on FinTech in the world. But that's where it started. I needed to learn. I go on Amazon, FinTech, no book. Okay, let's build it. Um, I, there's no course on FinTech. I go online, we do it. See, that's really interesting because most people wouldn't be like that and you probably but, know that. But that's, but that's, and that sometimes goes back onto, uh, onto is mental health a precondition or a result of being an entrepreneur? Sometimes taking those huge risks and making those impulsive decisions can be linked to specific mental health condition, right? Uh, Do you reckon you suffer from ADHD? Um, no, I, I wasn't. I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD. I think I have ADHD. I yeah. was diagnosed with other things, but not ADHD. <laughs> what were you diagnosed with? Um, second. What were you diagnosed with? Um, depression. Yep. Um, bipolar. Mm -hmm. And they're saying anxiety. I'm currently I'm currently doing a CBT course, and they say anxiety, but for the life of me, I don't have anxiety. Like mm. I know exactly what's ahead of me. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, yeah. So what I'm getting at is, so there's three conditions, um, one of which I challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's okay, right? It's part of the part of the process. Um, but look, there, there there is something unnatural of 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 taking a huge risk to go ahead and do it and, and, and sometimes putting yourself personally in danger for it, right? Founders Taboo, when we started, I mean, Founders Taboo was, is supported by a supercharger, but it was self-started. There's a fit, there's no fit. Uh, there's no fit. Uh, you lose your, your personal money. Right? Mm. Mm. At the risk of not making a bill payment, mm. there is a, there needs to be a level of, I think there's another element. They, they, I think when you're a, Sometimes also when you're a founder, you lack something which is self-preservation. Mm. You're willing to take a risk and look at your partner in the eye and you go, yeah, don't worry. I put all the money that we have on, you know, eight black, but don't worry, I'll repay the mortgage in five years. <laughs> you, and you convince about this. There's no, and for this, you really need to dissociate reality with risk. Like there, there's something... But it, this... Do you reckon you run towards high-risk situations? But I don't, like, the thing scenarios. is, I, I don't know if it's like... Because I, I would say I do. Yeah, but... but I quite enjoy it. I, I agree, but I think also people... So first of all, is that type of behavior a sign of a good or bad... Of a good founder? No. No. I think that you can also be very calculated, calm, mm. risk-averse and be a good founder. Right? So I don't think this is the trade-off. But there's also something that people need to understand, which is there's a difference between being risky or taking a risk and being reckless. Founders take risk. And by definition, you need to take a risk in order to generate the value that you say you will do. Because if there was no risk, there would be no value, right? That's the very basics of it. But taking a risk doesn't make you reckless. Being reckless is... 
is having no plan as to why you took that risk or no justification as to why you take that risk, right? So one thing, for example, is, is I don't know, uh, I'm on a plane, I'm jumping without a parachute. That's reckless. The other way is I'm on a plane, I'm jumping without a parachute into the water because I want to see the air coefficient drag of a body. Now, that's risky, but not reckless. You, you're trying to test a hypothesis. They, there's a reason behind that, right? Mm. So, so I think th those elements are, are, are important. Mm. But yeah, there, there's an element of, th there's an element of self-preservation that fundamentally you need to have a level of self-preservation that is not present to sometimes start a company, which therefore makes you vulnerable. Mm. What piece of advice would you give 19-year-old Janos starting out, really, first proper entrepreneur endeavor? Um, I don't know, because, you know, it's like if you change your past, your future, you know, it's the whole uh, sci-fi movie thing, which is if you go back in the past and you go, hey, by the way, you shouldn't have turned left. Well, then, you know, your future you doesn't exist anymore. So um, maybe I don't want to do this because otherwise I would get erased in front of you or in front of your eyes straight away. Um, I think you'll be all right. <laughs> um, look, I, I, I don't know. I think um, I think what I would say, though, is is you need to learn to fail gracefully. Like, what I'm getting at is, and we talked about statistics and we talk about all of this, look, nine in 10 entrepreneurs will fail year one, right? And we all, but none of us have been taught how to deal or cope with failure and the consequence of failure. So I would say, you know, prepare to fail from day one. Not that you're not ambitious, but prepare to fail. Mm. Uh, prepare to fail in your relationship, prepare to fail with your investor, prepare to fail with your team, prepare, mm. and so that when you do, you fail gracefully. Mm. Can you expand on what that actually means? Because, look... What, what does it mean to you? What it means to me is, for example, when I failed once, like, hey, I burned myself, I burned out, but I burned bridges as well. Like, mm. I went into my cave in dark hole and I just cut myself from the world and I burned bridges with people that wanted to help me. I burned bridges with people that I never valued because I was hurt. I was like, you know, you know, we're talking about dogs, like a dog that was injured and I was, I was mm. barking when trying, someone was trying to help me. When, when I should have said is like, no, I'm not well, uh, let me talk. I need to communicate. But my failure, I was not failing gracefully. I was failing, mm. you know, you know we, we take the analogy of plants and all this. When you fail, like fall like a leaf in a forest, no one hears you. Not like a rock from the mountain that... And that's how I fell. Like, you know, it's like you go up with a bang, you go down with a bang, right? Mm. And no, don't do not do this. Like, you know, just, um, just don't. Um, so that's what I would say. Because, you know, learning from failure is, is super important. But the way you, you fail and you fall is equally important because you will fall as a founder. Mm. You, you you will you will fall in in big or in small steps but you will fall but mm. no one is telling founders how to fall and what's the consequence of falling uh, so that's what I would say to uh, to to 19 year old me um, it's beautiful um, I want to thank you obviously this thank you founders also. founders taboo is powering this podcast um, thanks so. for you know 
I think thank also to you too for for caring and and having done in, in your capacity what you first done with the Slack group, which mm. is the reason why we're here today. Yeah. Thanks for having the the passion to to take the time to talk to other founders. For um, for me it's for me it's wanting to whenever anybody's asked me recently people have been asking me, Oh what you're doing another podcast, like haven't you got enough on your plate? Mm-hmm. And the answer is always Yes, I do have far too much on my plate. But there are so many entrepreneurs coming into this world now. It has never been easier to build a business online. Mm-hmm. Um and there's a fuck ton of um disinformation out there. Um and I just want to empower young entrepreneurs, but also entrepreneurs that have been in the kind of market and have suffered and show them that there is there are people out there who who suffer. Because it's rarely ever spoken about in this industry. And for whatever reason, the conventions of the industry don't allow for founders to talk about their mental health. That is changing, mm-hmm. but it is so important for how we save entrepreneurs' mental health and improve it that actually we do something like this. So that's when when we spoke about it, I was like, this is, yeah, this is right. But but you know what you were saying, it, it, it almost raises two points, which is which they're important. And it links to, to what I was saying during the podcast. Um, the first one is, it's never been easier to build a company as tools, cost, technology makes it more available. It's never been more needed. The world today, we just came out of the COVID crisis. Mm. We're currently going to the war in Ukraine. The world, world needs people to rebuild the world, yeah. a world, whether a more sustainable world, a world which is less polarized, whatever. So it's never easy to build a company. The world never needed even more people to change the world. And on top of it, people never had more of an aspiration, if not to be entrepreneur, to be self-freelancer of your life. Therefore, meaning to build a one-person business, but building a business. But because of all of that, all of this doesn't come with parental guidance Hmm. on saying, hold on, do it, but caution hot. Mm. And that's what we should do. Caution hot. Building a company, you will get burnt. Therefore, get burnt, but wear gloves. And wear gloves by being resilient on listening to Founders Taboo, the vulnerable podcast, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you have that piece. The second element, which is, you know, um, when you're saying, it's actually a conversation I had this morning. I was talking to someone, um, said, no, but I can't join Supercharger. I don't have the time to bandwidth. I'm already a lot of things. I have a lot of things on my plate. And my answer to them, and therefore to you, and therefore to other founders, is yes, listening to that podcast, or yes, you going from one meeting room to another to record it, will add another one, two, three hours in your day in that month. But you will also learn, and that one hour of time spent will save you 
one week, one year, 10 years of maybe experience of not making that mistake or making you learn or unlock a thinking faster than you would otherwise have. When we talked about a friend doesn't see it, maybe it would have taken you another three years to realize, look, let's not fucking fight it. He doesn't get it. But maybe today we move forward by three years, that, that thinking. And so to your, to your point of your friend, it's, it's not about the time spent. It's about the return you get for that time. Yes. And, and how much it saves you failures and time wasted as you do them. Um, so, yeah. This has been awesome. Pleasure. Um, and we've done an hour and 20 minutes, would you believe? No, it's uh, it's it's actually quite therapeutic, actually. It is. It I, is. I don't know who should be charging who, or she should <laughs> give money to to the dogs next to us. I mean, the, the dog is also very. No one can see him, but he is. He's, he's sleeping asleep in the corner, isn't he? Like an angel. Um, yeah, he's he's done very well, actually, by the catastrophic first thirty exactly. seconds that we had before. Um, but yeah, Janus Barbaros, thank you so much, James. Pleasure.